I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck has foils and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. There's nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd Alert! Hello there, Obi-John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcasting, and welcome to your weekly Nerd Alert. Joining me this week as... Well, I was going to say as always, but as like 90% of the time, it's my stalwart right-hand man, the Sancho, San, Sancho Panza to my Don Quixote. Uh, that's pr- correct pronunciation, Quixote. <laughs> the man who keeps the nerdy and taught nerdy to me, Commander Scott. Hello, hello, hello. Um, so uh, I was I was doing a, a, a delve into uh, uh, strange words. And, and stuff earlier this week because uh, I had some some stuff pop up on my word of the day uh, email that I get from uh, dictionary.com um, and uh, something uh, that, that I came across uh, I don't know if you remember there was a cartoon uh, way back when uh, it's very obscure very very few people ever heard of it it's called DuckTales woo woo so Sorry. It's, an, it's an automatic knee-jerk response. <laughs> See, it's like a Pavlovian response. Yeah. Yes. I guess. So uh, you remember you remember Gizmo Duck, right? Sure. So actually, there's a couple of different nerd things going on with this. Uh, so do you remember that the the armor for Gizmo Duck was uh, phrase coded? Correct. Sure. Had a password. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you remember what the password was? Oh gosh, I don't. So usually, if you ask people who were actually a fan of the old one that that you know what um, what the password was, they would they will invariably answer what, either a I don't know because I don't remember because you know I'm not a huge nerd, but uh, um, or it's blabber and blatherskite, and that's technically wrong because blabber, oh. blabber and blatherskite is what uh, uh, Fenton always said. To get the the armor, you know, on to activate the armor, because the word was blatherskite, and blabber and blatherskite was a phrase that he just commonly used, and that's how he stumbled upon it, and he never realized that it was just the word blatherskite. Oh, so he always said blabber and blatherskite because it worked the first time, so he just continued to use it, and. Uh, uh, so this actually popped in my search was the word blatherskite. Oh, it actually is a word, and I never knew what it meant before. I don't know why I never looked it up. That just seems very unlike me. 
Um, but so blatherskite is a noun and it is a person who talks at great length without making much sense, which, <laughs> which lends the blabbering part of the phrase more makes more sense. Blabbering blatherskite. So so it's a noun. The blabbering is an adjective describing the blatherskite uh, from the original DuckTales phrase. I don't think he used the term blabbering blatherskite in the new version. Uh, on Disney Plus, um, I think he just went with Blatherskite, but uh, and and then of course you've got the the added bonus that the fact that the 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 voice actor for uh, Fenton in the new Ducktales uh, is uh, uh, what's his name Lin Manuel Noriega uh, uh, of 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 Hamilton fame, you know Lin Manuel what uh, Noriega right is sure. That- that not his name? Uh, well, that is Scott's long-winded way of telling you that our new show is now called uh, Blather and Blatherskypes. <laughs> the Blabber and Blatherskypes. It, it's no longer Nerd Alert. <laughs> it's the Blather and Blatherskypes. With your host, Obi John Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. I, I go down these I go down these rabbit holes all the time. It's just who I am. Scott, we always love when you take that big nosedive into that giant safe full of gold coins uh, that is the internet, because we know you're going to come up with something shiny. So, thank you for keeping the nerd in talk nerdy to me. Hey, I try. It, it, it's my lot in life. And I'm only half joking about wanting to change the name of the show now. Uh, <laughs> but that brings us to what we're actually here to talk about today, uh, because unfortunately the doc will not be joining us. Uh, I believe the flux capacitor had some issues capacitating um so he will not be here this week uh instead in his place please accept this pre-recorded message from him that i believe uh scott has ready uh see no actually i don't dang it Ah, this is what happens we know plan stuff out yeah exactly this is what happens it's okay you find the button i'll blather skype for a while Uh, (laughs) because that's my favorite word Uh, all right yeah sorry yep Uh, i have i have found the message from the doc hang on pre-recorded message from the doc about his absence this week you see the size of that goddamn chicken we sure didn't but we're excited to hear you tell us all about it next week when you're back buddy Uh, so no, what we're actually here to talk about this week uh, is something that Commander Scott brought up, and I'll be honest, he, he's going to have to take the lead on this one, because uh, his, his knowledge on this topic far exceeds mine, so I'm going to be here to kind of play the uh, the fly in his ointment to this and, and hopefully contribute to the discussion, but we're here to talk about, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, the cinematic adaptation or failure thereof of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, well, yeah, we are. Okay. Okay. So what what kind of prompted this was um, something that I found out here this week that apparently has been old news for well everybody else <laughs> in the world. This uh, is new old news with Scott. <laughs> and that is shit. The- he just found out that we already know. <laughs> Apparently, I guess Chris Pine uh, and stuff have been uh, tapped uh, their pre-production for a new Dungeons and Dragons movie. They're shooting right now, buddy. Yeah, yeah, they're yep. they're all in principal photography. Um, <laughs> which you know, um, 
is uh, that, that that's that's awfully quick because, like I said, I just found out about it. I don't I don't know why. Uh, they they it, didn't it, want you to have to wait any longer than you needed to, Scott. Well, and, and that's good. Um, and in fact, so yeah, there it is. Uh, actually, you know what? I just pulled up his IMDb, and it currently says uh, it, it's been updated to Dungeons and Dragons post production. So I guess they're finished with Principal. Wow. Okay, that was fast. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, looking at the cast, of course, you got Chris Pine, Hugh Grant, which I love, uh, and, and a bunch of other people that actually I don't know right off the top of my head. But um, uh, th- that prompted me to, to to start thinking about the 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 Dungeons and Dragons movies that we've gotten because I'm a huge D and D fan. Um, and like, if you look back at the uh, uh, the history of Dungeons and Dragons live action cinema. It's it's not the best. Oh, it's a sad history, sir. I don't I don't necessarily know if it's the worst. Are you including the eighties cartoon? No, I am not including okay. the eighties cartoon in this. Now, because the eighties cartoon is is once again it's a cartoon, so it's not live action. I don't consider them exactly the same thing. Uh, I like the old D and D cartoon. Uh, in fact, I, I don't have it on DVD and I, I now consider that somewhat of an oversight on my part. I'm not sure it's actually on DVD. I could be wrong about that. I thought it was. Anyway, we'll look later. Um, but the movie, of course, they are talking out, about the 2000 film with, uh, uh, just Justin Whalen and yes. uh, Jeremy Irons. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we're all on the same page. We're all on the same page. So, and it... Part of me understands why they did what they did with the development of this film. And part of me screams at them going, why did you do what you did with the development of this film? <laughs> it, it's really stands anything about this film that scares me, Scott. Because I but, want you to know, I, I rewatched it. Yes. Wow. Uh, this has not aged well. So, first of all, one of the big... Uh, well, I don't know where to start with this. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, I did some digging on it because I'm me. Um, yeah. Again, I hadn't watched this probably since it hit video when I first rented it at my local video store, which should tell you how long it's been since I've watched this movie. So I was like, we should give this a fresh pass um, and and view it again. And after looking, so I watched the movie and it was it was bad. It's very bad. It has not aged well at all. Uh, its faults are just that much more glaring uh, than they were at the time. Uh, you've got some good actors, some genuinely good actors. Thor Birch is in there. Uh, again, Jeremy Irons, who, you know, freaking Academy Award nominated, if, if not winner. Uh, some great, great actors in here. Um, they are clearly there for the paycheck. Uh, no one's really giving it their all. Thor Birch, I think like the year before, or maybe the same year even, uh, she was nominated for an Academy Award for uh, American Beauty. And then in this movie, she looks like she's reading off a cue card. I mean, it is full on like Star Wars prequel levels of good actors doing terrible acting. I think Jeremy Irons is trying to out Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage in some of his scenes. <laughs> I mean, someone told him, no, you can go ahead and crank this all the way up to 10. And he's like, 10, I'm taking this to 20. I'm playing for the back seats. And they're like, uh, Mr. Irons, it's a film. There's no back seat. I'm playing for the back seat of every audience that watches this. Uh, Cause wow, does he go big? Um, but 
being me, I had to even even when a movie is bad, and I do think this fits into the so bad it's good. Like I can put this on with a group of friends and have a few beers and laugh at how like terrible this movie is. Um, but I had to know how did this happen? How did we get here? And the story of how the movie got made, I think, is more interesting than the movie itself. Um, and I don't know how far into this you were going to go, so stop well, me if I'm getting into to territory you were going to bring up. Well, no, no. So, so here's the thing. So, going into this, I, 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 the part of the reason why I pitched this as a topic is because I think this complements us very well, because I've got the D and D role playing side of it, and, and I knew you were going to have the production side of it, which is something I don't look at a lot. I try. Yeah. Well, so, so let let me start real quick with the with with, with the role playing side of it, because then I think it, it'll give context to the production okay. side. Yeah. Your, your stuff will make more sense. So this is what gets me with 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 Dungeons and Dragons. So Dungeons and Dragons, obviously, you know, as as probably a lot of people know, more people who have played the game, you know, know this part of it. It, it is a tabletop role playing game. It was created by Gary Gygax and, and Dave uh, Arneson. In 1974, they published the company or they they formed the company TSR, Tactical Studies Rules, to, to publish the game. And it's it's currently on its fifth edition. It, is, it created the role playing genre, uh, and and it's widely popular. It's had a lot of controversy over the years, but it also has a a huge following, a huge player base, and a huge fandom over that fifty plus years that it has been in existence. And all of that stuff has generated all of that 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 there has been 50 years of content that that the fan base loves and adores i mean you've got the forgotten realms created by uh uh, ed greenwood with with his character of elminster who is literally a a a direct homage i'm not even going to say it's it's a lot of people would say he's a ripoff uh, that Elminster is a ripoff of uh, uh, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. I disagree. I believe he is an homage. He's the very definition of the word homage. That that, that he is a love letter to yes. to to uh, to Tolkien to 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 Middle Earth and to to Gandalf. Of course, o- homage being French for cheese. Oh, did you say homage or fromage? I'm sorry. No, no, I, I, I didn't hear that. Homage, yeah, yeah, homage. Oh, oh sorry. I was way yeah. off. It's, it's French for bullshit, but uh, according to Alec Baldwin, <laughs> it's, very, it's very good bullshit. Um, it's French for stolen. And if you get that, that's a very deep cut. I applaud you if you get that. Um, but um, so Ed Greenwood, once again, love letter to Tolkien and Gandalf with the creation of Elminster and the Forgotten Realms. Uh, and and the Elminster books and novels. Um, but uh, in addition to that, with the Forgotten Realms, which is arguably the most popular um, uh, role-playing setting, campaign setting uh, for, for Dungeons & Dragons, you have the books of uh, Ari Salvatore, which he, you know, he outlines the, uh, the Companions of the Hall, which are you know, the most popular character, that being Driss Deward and the Dark Elf Ranger. Uh, along with Wolfger, you know, Bernard, Katie Bree, Regis, um, and and literally thirty some books. I think now we're up to thirty something of novels for those characters. Not to mention the the four or five full novels for Elminster, in amongst the plethora of other stuff he's he's been featured in as a secondary character, supporting character. Um, 
But outside of Forgotten Realms, you also have Dragonlands, you know, um, uh, created by uh, uh, Tracy Hickman. And uh, <laughs> people are going to get upset with me, but I think Margaret Weiss. Uh, and you've got the War of the Lance novels there, which is is probably arguably, once again, one of the favorite, if not the favorite. It just depends on who you're talking to, which one ranks higher stories in D and D and, and of course, and amongst that, you've also got Ravenloft and you've got the uh, Planescape. You've just got 50 years of these awesome storytellers still telling stories and creating characters that people around the world love and adore. And when you finally make a movie, what do you give us? You give us an entirely new world that hasn't, that nobody knows anything about. And you give us a bunch of characters. Nobody gives a shit about. No, it's so, the same. Well, real here's where I tag in. Yeah, go ahead. So, um, Courtney Sullivan, the director and I believe uncredited writer of the 2000 D&D movie, is a lifelong D&D fanatic. And this was his passion project. It was his goal to get a D&D movie made. It wasn't his goal to direct a D&D movie. Uh, he he wanted somebody far more experienced than him to helm it, but he wanted he wanted to as a fan of D and D, he wanted to make sure this movie had every chance to succeed. So he licensed the property from at that time TSR. I don't think Wizards of the Coast had bought it yet, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, he then spent like eight years trying to put together the financing for this movie. It was independently financed. Uh, he didn't go to a studio and and get money from them. He he raised. Somewhere between 35 and 45 million. I couldn't get a solid budget nailed down. Somewhere between 35 and 45 million dollars to make a D&D movie. This was in the late 90s. Not too shabby at all for a, a, a no-time director. Um, he had a candidate list of people he wanted to direct. And essentially the, the studio people or the creative people shot them all down. So to get things going, he put himself in the director's chair. Which accounts for a lot of things in the movie. There's a lot, there's a litany of continuity errors and things that, like, you should know better. But again, he's a first time director. That explains a lot of the weird issues with this movie. The issue Scott has of being set in a different world, the thinking behind that comes from the fact that he is a DD nerd. And the kingdom, it's, it's set in the kingdom of, depending which movie you're watching, Izmir or Ishmir. Uh, there's actually three movies in this this series, which I did not realize there were that many. Um, in the first movie, it's pronounced Izmir, and it goes to Ishmir after that, so however you want to pronounce it. Uh, it's the world he created for his D&D campaigns when he was a DM. And the one thing I will say in his defense for that decision, um, and, and Scott, I can fully understand where you're coming from but one thing i will give him any adaptation is is fraught with danger anytime you're taking something from one medium and transferring it to another there's a litany of problems you can come across it's a minefield a big problem with taking games and trying to turn them into films is you're taking something that is an active experience and transform it into a passive experience. D&D is a game you play with the character you create in a scenario that you and your DM kind of unfold together. I mean, your DM has a plan, and it's sort of like, you know, 
uh, I can lead you to a door, but I can't make you walk through it. You know, it, it's uh, freedom within a framework, that kind of stuff. But it's an active thing. You're taking part in the storytelling. In a movie, you're watching it. So with that in mind, I can understand why he would be hesitant to jump into worlds that are already created by other authors uh, and writers and illustrators, because then you've got all the baggage that comes with, well, people have drawn this character. People have written this character. If, if we don't do this the way people you know, have, a, and a, if, if, if we're adapting a character and we don't do the character the way people want it to be, they'll be mad at us. So fresh slate, whole new world. We're building from the ground up. Uh, it'll, it'll appeal to the D&D fans because we'll throw in lots of the, the creatures and stuff they know and the classes that they know, and it'll feel kind of D&D-ish, but the specific mythology is all brand new. So people who've never played D&D before in their life won't have to worry about why they never played D&D. I won't know what's going on. I can see the appeal to setting it in its own world. In hindsight, maybe not the best decision to go with, but I can see the the appeal of that decision on paper anyway. So, based off of, because this is the first time I've, I've heard this story, I, I did not realize that the director was also sort of the driving force and he said it in his own homebrew campaign setting. I didn't know yeah. anything. Now that I've heard that, I hate it even more. Please tear it apart mercilessly, sir. And so the reason I'm going to say this, first of all, I am going to preface this, that you are completely correct. Hindsight is 2020. The man was under a lot of pressure, a lot more pressure than I am sitting here, you know, in my house, judging him many years later for actions that I would never get to do. But that's okay, because that's what I do. Um, so so to, adjust, to to address the, the, the issues that, that you, you bring up, uh, I completely understand that, yes, Dungeons & Dragons as a game is an active uh, thing that you participate in and you're translating that to a passive thing. Okay, I got you. I understand. And if nobody had ever done that before, if there was no formula to follow, then I could kind of understand. However, novels are also a passive thing. Mm-hmm. It's not the game. It's, it's yeah. And once again, novels and movies are still different. Yeah. Um, but I would say, so first of all, if I was doing a D&D movie, if I love D&D, which I do, and I want to do a D&D movie, the last thing I would ever inflict on anybody is here. Here's my homebrew campaign, because I don't think that highly of myself. <laughs> you know, I understand my homebrew campaign is probably not that interesting, and I am not that great of a storyteller. I'm going to defer to people who have told great stories. And I'm going to do my damnedest to bring the stories that made me love D&D to life. So, me personally. So, I'm going to put myself in the role of the of, of the guy. I love D&D. And I, I've been brought into D&D. And I want to make D&D. I want to share it with the masses. I want to bring it into the mainstream. I want to make a movie. I'm going to pick the Crystal Shard. Because that's where you're introduced to the companions. The Hall, that's where I was introduced to D&D. That is from a wonderful storyteller, Ari Salvatore. And we are going to adapt this novel. Now, what did he have for lunch? If he's taking a crystal shard. Oh, uh, hang on. Uh, hey, <laughs> hold on. He's got a sound effect for this. Hold on. Hang on. That's not the one I was looking for. Oh. <laughs> nope. Hang on. There it goes. 
There it is. So, um, <laughs> so Lather and Bandersnatch, what was it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Lather and Bandersnatch, yes. That's that's Benedict Cumberbatch's uh, second <laughs> twice removed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I would I would definitely before I would do a homebrew campaign, I would look at what's been published before. If I've got the license to D and D, then it should not be a big leap to get the ability to do one of the published works like the Crystal Shard or or something because TSR retained full full copyright and ownership of all of those works. So you would not have to get the author's uh, approval on those. Um, and, and the reason I can say that with as much confidence as I just said is because uh, I've, I've talked with R.A. Salvatore at a book signing, and, and one of the questions that was brought up was, you know, uh, would you ever like to see your characters in a, in a movie? And, and his answer at the time was, yes, I would love to see my characters in a movie. Uh, I do it in a heartbeat. However, I don't have I don't own creative control to the characters. Everything that I do for TSO is uh, TSR is solely owned by TSR. Uh, so I got that straight from the horse's mouth. There you go. In person, he said it. Yeah. Uh, so that's wrong. He's wrong, not us. <laughs> so getting getting the rights to to do to adapt those things, given the amount of money you'd already put in for the licensing. I don't see that being a big leap. I don't see it being a hurdle. Uh, so yeah, adapt something that's already been done and it's already been turned into a passive storytelling and it introduces us to the worlds of D and D and everything. I, I, I just, just doing your own homebrew campaign to me seems somewhat, um, uh, uh, I don't know, delusions of grandeur, maybe, <laughs> Uh, a little bit. Uh, you, you drank your own Kool Aid. You drank your own Kool Aid, exactly. Um, and and then you talked about sprinkling in some of the species and stuff to give it the feel of D and D. I don't want the feel of D and D. All right, I want D and D. I want a beholder to act like a damn beholder and not a half asleep guard sitting in the back scene of a uh, the background of a scene somewhere. He doesn't actually do shit. It's a damn beholder. I mean, you know, uh, the, his eye stalks have each one has a different magical effect and they're intelligent and they're 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 slave masters. And in fact, one of them, the, the most named beholder ever is Xanathar in the uh, in the Forgotten Realms. And, and and he's he's a guild master. I mean, he controls his 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 the world in which he presides. He's not just a <laughs> what stone was thrown over here. I will turn. Just throw in the beholder just to make it feel like D and D. No, no, you don't sprinkle that shit around. Uh, but yeah, you telling me this story makes me hate this movie even more. Well, you're welcome for that. Uh, here's here's what I'll give you some more pushback on your just adapt one of the books ideas. I'm trying to think out of phrases. Um, I, that's one way to go. Uh, and there's certainly a track record there. Uh, first of all, I think D&D should not be a movie. Now, that being said, I, I am curiously and intrigued about this new film. And I, I, I'm sure I'll be there when it opens to watch it. Um, and I'll ask Scott uh, to tell me why it's terrible when we're done watching it. Um, but 
I don't think Dean, the way, again, you talked about the feel of D&D, okay? So the way you actually play D&D is you get everyone together, you create your characters, you start a campaign, you you meet a few times, you know, once a month, once a week, whatever. Uh, you, you, your group keeps, you know, continues on episodically with this big adventure. Um, and then eventually the whole group falls apart and you stop talking to each other and the whole campaign falls apart and never gets finished. Um, that might be a little too real, though. <laughs> so I'm not saying we should stop the movie about three-fourths of the way through and just never end it. Although that would, I think, capture... <laughs> what was that? Well, 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 if you if you did that, if you if you just went through like most of a story and then just cut the black right at the end, everything just mm-hmm. falls apart. It'd feel too much like The Sopranos. Yeah, but, and you, know, you 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 just put some text up. Uh, <laughs> the party got busy. Uh, the elf fighter had a kid. Uh, the the DM got a new job, and they never got together again. The end. <laughs> that might be a little too real. Um, so what I think is a better fit for D and D, honestly, is a a a streaming series uh and, and even within that an anthology series every season could be a whole new story with new characters it could be all set within the same world you could have characters cross over from one season one storyline to another uh, you could carry things on for you know again depending how big of a story you have to tell uh you could you could weave it however you want to but i think the the, the worlds of D and the characters and whatnot are too big to really authentically cram into a two-hour movie I think that's part of the problem with the 2000 film is it tries to cram seemingly way too much and also yet not enough uh, into one movie. Like there's so there's the the dwarf barbarian and then they meet the ranger lady uh, and and the whole time there there's a map and which leads to the the thieves guild Indiana Jones ripoff temple to get the whatever MacGuffin to get to the big dragon rod dungeon MacGuffin. It's like again, it, it's written like it's a campaign of D and D where you, okay, you went you quested for here and found this magical item and it led you to this and here's your next quest and adventure and that led you to this thing and that led you like that's fine if you're trying to stretch out a campaign playing with your friends in a two hour movie. It's like holy fuck, get on with it. Yeah, so so here's the thing. So okay. what you just said, yes, I, I agree completely. And the reason it felt like that is because it's a homebrew campaign. <laughs> this was not a story crafted by a writer. This was a bunch of people sitting around their table playing a game. Hey, let's make it into a movie. No. Um, but uh, now, now that being said, I, I, I do agree that that, first of all, you should not make a quote-unquote Dungeons and Dragons movie. That should not happen. If you wanted to do Dungeons and Dragons, an anthology series would be a beautiful idea. Uh, I mean, because Amazon is currently producing their their Lord of the Rings, uh, new new Lord of the Rings series. Hopefully it's good. Um, but there's many other competing streaming series that I think would, would pick it up. Um, but at the same time, I also think that the stories that have been done would lend themselves well to a movie or movies, but I don't think they should be called Dungeons and Dragons. You're right on that. Like, if you were okay. going to adapt the Crystal Shard like I wanted to, just call it the fucking Crystal Shard. You, you know, I mean, if you wanted to give it Dungeons and Dragons, the Crystal Shard, okay, that that I could see. Um, personally, well, you're I definitely 
you're absolutely they're, they're gonna want the name Dungeons and Dragons in there because yeah. that's the name recognition IP. Yeah, so maybe you call it uh, Tales of D and D or something like that from the book of D and D. I don't know, whatever. Well, um, you're gonna want to tie that. They're it, gonna it, want you to tie that in somehow. So if you're gonna if you're gonna do a movie, I, I would adapt the novels uh, that have already been done because either either the Companions of the Hall, the uh, the War of the Lance, or the Elminster series of novels and call them Dungeons and Dragons subtitle whatever the novel was but if you're going to go the anthology route it would be uh something along uh either either dungeons and dragons tomes oh there you go or dungeons and dragons ecologies now that would be that's a not gonna happen it wouldn't be but but the the fans of D would love it because that's what we don't scott we don't care about the actual fans they'll watch it just because it has D written on it you've got to appeal to the Whitney's of the world who don't give a shit about D and D. We got to rope them in. Uh, well, that's true too. Um, but yeah, you, yeah, I could see giving it, you know, something uh, D and D. Because now, one thing that I love, and I, I'm, I'm going to say this, knowing that you're going to hate this idea. Um, okay. And, and I don't think you should do this. Okay. But okay. one thing that was done. So, so Ed Greenwood, uh, the author who created the Forgotten Realms. Okay, and he created Elminster, and he's the one that that first wrote the source books for the, uh, I want to say the 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 second edition D and D source books for the Forgotten Realms. I don't know if there was a first edition rule book or not because I don't go back quite that far. But okay, the, pause, uh, pause. Yep. What do you mean by source book for our non D and D speakers? Okay, so. So Dungeons and Dragons, of course, is a game. It has it has a book that teaches you how to play the game. That's just the base game. Now, for the different worlds you could play in, or you know, like like if I wanted to run a game in the Forgotten Realms, I would buy the Forgotten Realms source books, which is all the information that I, as a game master, need on the Forgotten Realms. It, it details to me the world, the continents, the countries, the rulers, the 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 organizations, the the you know all the background for for this. And originally it was it was released as a uh, as a box set, meaning that that you bought a box uh, that had multiple books inside it, and 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 all those books focuses on a different area of the world, uh, like buying an atlas for the United States and then buying an so, atlas for the... if it was a TV show or a series, we'd call it the show Bible. Yes. Uh, for, for new writers to bring them up to speed on here's the world, who's the, here's the characters who inhabit it, things like that. Yes. Okay. Thank now, you. Yes. Now, now here's something else. The, the, once again, you're going to hate this because at least I'm pretty sure you're going to hate this. And okay. I don't think you should do it, but it is an option because it was in the books. So the premise that Ed Greenwood wrote Forgotten Realms on was that the Forgotten Realms was a real place. Okay, it really existed on some other plane of existence. Elminster was a real wizard, like in our world, a real wizard, because he found his way through through planar travel from the Forgotten Realms to Ed Greenwood's bedroom late one night. And he actually wrote this in the books was his conversations with Elminster and the source books was was Elminster telling him about the Forgotten Realms. I don't hate that idea. I think it's going to automatically draw comparisons to Princess Bride. 
Um, is this the kissing book? Uh, and if you're going to do the whole Our Worlds crossover, then you might as well just remake the cartoon. Yeah, yeah true. True. That's what the cartoon did. That's, that's very true. I didn't think about the cartoon, but yeah. You're right. Again, I don't, I don't automatically hate that idea. Um, I don't think it's the best way. And again, if you're doing an anthology series, then but that could be a fun episode, a, a fun one-off episode. Well, uh, go ahead. So, so that's that's why I bring it up was the anthology series. So, yeah. so if if you if you like Dungeons and Dragons, you know Elminster's Tales, and you started every episode just real quick. That had you don't have to go in depth with with Elminster imparting the tales to Ed Greenwood as a character now. Um, uh, like uh, uh, Disney's current What If, where you start out with the little blurb from The Watcher, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, for an anthology. So that's why I was getting around to this. So Dungeons and Dragons, Elminster's Tales. That that's where I was going with this. Um, again, I think they would they would water the title down a bit. Um, I don't. Again, I don't hate the idea. Uh, maybe make it. You know, each each episode is introduced by like you just see an old man, uh, or maybe you don't even see the actual person, just a set of hands pulling uh, um, scrolls or a book off the shelf and dusting it off and opening it up, and then like the finale, you pull back the camera and reveal that's really him, something like that. I don't know, um, but no, I just I, I just think I think it lends itself way way better. And is a much more natural fit to do this as a, a branching anthology episodic series where you can. And again, you can go as big or as small with this. You could do a one off single episode. You could do a multi-parter. You could do an entire season. Uh, you could, you know, see what works from prior seasons and, and build things from there. Um, I just think that is a much better fit for D&D because then you can kind of get that scattergun approach of let's do a bunch of one-offs so say season one is like 10 episodes and they're all an anthology so every episode is its own thing maybe they're in the same realm maybe they're not um but i think that gives you a chance to really stretch your legs as far as what can a D show be so maybe one episode is a straight up story about a rogue and a thief and it's kind of a heist movie in D. maybe one is is more of your uh, like a fetch quest uh, maybe one is is about uh, someone training to become a wizard and how does magic work uh, do one where it more focuses on you know like the 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 monsters of the world again use those 10 episodes to really show the breadth of of what stories you can tell within that and then see what works and what doesn't from that season and in, in, in go from there okay the no one liked the rogue story we'll we'll not we you know we won't do that again or, or we'll do less of that uh you know, this hey people love this and that work to do more of that um but kind of go from that again D D is so so limitless in what you can do with it you kind of have to give yourself some kind of boundaries or you're going to be um uh i can't think you're going to be handicapped by how much there is to do uh you'll 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 sell yourself out just by the the sheer possibilities of what you could do and the other thing I really, really want to make sure anything going forward, and again, I don't know much about the new movie, so hopefully they're doing this already. Um, but you can't escape the fact that you're making this in a post-Lord of the Rings world. The 2000 movie 
was a pre Lord of the Rings world. And that fantasy was still in that weird recess of no one makes fantasy movies anymore. Remember we talked about that a while ago. We did like the eighties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eighties. It, it was like, you can't throw a rock at a year from the eighties and not have at least one cool sword and sorcery movie. And then the nineties, it's just like nothing. It's just just drought of fantasy. Um, and, and, yeah. and the Dungeons and Dragons movie was kind of poking its head out from that. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, post Lord of the Rings, because Lord of the Rings really opened those floodgates, but it's also post Game of Thrones. So we're, we're also in that situation where everybody's trying to find the next Game of Thrones. Yeah, very true. Um, and, and, the reason I bring up, uh, uh, and, and you know, bring up both of those, because um, Game of Thrones is a great example of this. In a post Lord of the Rings world, you have to, everyone is now familiar with the tropes of traditional fantasy genre. Everyone knows dwarves are short and have beards and they're stubborn. Everyone knows elves are tall and have long hair and they're kind of dainty, but they're badasses somehow. Uh, everyone knows those tropes. Uh, you know, we could go on be- because Lord of the Rings was so popular. So what I think you have to be very careful to do is you kind of want to ride those coattails a bit. You want to, you want to carve yourself a niche in that same corner, but at the same time, if we start out and we have a, an elf ranger as our main character, everyone's going to automatically, Oh, Legolas. Okay. You've got to be aware of those things. So I think, and again, with these, if you do a single season, 10 episodes, anthology thing, I would really, really, really push what makes D and D different from that. And yeah, yeah, there's elves, there's dwarves, there's dragons, there's dungeons, there's wizards, but there's also tieflings and mm-hmm. and all kinds of other. And that's just the first thing that pops in my mind. There are so many races and classes. Uh, a paladin would be awesome to see on on uh, on screen. Um, uh, sort of a combination knight wizard kind of thing. Uh, there's there's so many things unique to D and D, or or that D and D does a lot of or does well that you don't see in Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. Um, that I think I would want to highlight those before we ever get around to the more stock fantasy characters. That's all you got. Well. So, here, you, you, I, I get what you're saying. Okay. I'm trying, I'm trying to organize my thoughts on the fly here. I got you. Um, so, I get what you're saying. So, if you have an elf ring, your, 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 your audiences that are, that are very familiar with Lord of the Rings and stuff, are, oh, okay, it's a, Legos, it's a Legolas character. Okay? So, I'm, I'm going to go with, I'm going to pull a popular character here who is, like like this this is how you would do this um now i'm not suggesting you do this because this character lends himself to a movie not a series but this is just a a way that a storyteller takes this archetype of the elf ranger and makes it different from legolas which i consider the archetype of the elf ranger okay because you've got to be able to you got to take your archetypes you've got to have your archetypes but you have to you have to make them fun and engaging on their own. The archetype is your foundation, then you have to build a house on top of that. So the character of Driss Duarden, 
and, and and I don't think you've ever read any any of these novels, nope. uh, which I consider a travesty and a failure on my part that you've never read these novels. I uh, don't do much of the reading. Yeah, I know, I know. Too many words, not enough pictures. Have to fix that. Um, I'm also a very slow reader. That's okay. Um, so Driss Duerden, and there's probably going to be people, people out there who disagree with the way I pronounce his name, but you know what? I'm 43 years old. It's Driss Duarden. God. I what a noob. Just, uh, uh, you know, deal with it. It's Driss Duerden. Um, and that's not even his full name. That's actually a truncation of his name. But anyway. Oh, God, that's the short version? That's the short version. Uh, because what was what was funny is um, uh, when Ari Salvatore, so Ari Salvatore was, uh, um, he was contacted by uh, TSR at the time to do uh, a novel uh, or a, a new series of novels. And, and he, actually he was contracted to do uh, a, a novel which was um, uh, <laughs> The Claret Quintet, which is a great uh, um, um, series of novels. Uh, and, and he had, uh, he'd done his novel and everything. And, uh, he, uh, they asked him the, the, the publisher content was, he was on the, the phone and they said, uh, do you have anything? What, what do you have in mind next? And, and he literally, he said, uh, he's like, well, I've got an idea for an elf ranger name. Uh, and, and I don't know the full name. I'm sorry. It's like Driss Duarden Arbenchel, blah, 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 you know, from Menzo Berenson. And they're like, oh, that sounds awesome. What What is that? And he goes, I have no idea. <laughs> because he literally just came up with a name off the top of his head. And so Driss Deward is an elf ranger. But um, first of all, he's a dark elf. Okay, he's a, he's a drow. Uh, and the drow live deep underground. Uh, they are dark skinned. They're ebony skinned. And their eyes... Uh, typically glow red because they have as a racial ability that they've they've cultivated over many many eons of of evolution in the underdark uh, they 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 have infravision uh, which means they see heat because uh, there's no light underground and uh, his though were lavender so they glowed a purple and uh, typically. Um, the, the drow of Menzel Berenzen, uh, that the inhabited as a very matriarchal society, they worship the demon, the spider demon god Loth, and, uh, or Loth, depending on how you pronounce it. And uh, uh, they are a chaotic species, chaotic evil, usually. Um, there are, of course, good drow, you know, I mean, but he was the first good drow. So he had a, he had a sense of nobility to him that, that, that lent himself to leave menzo barons and, and go to the surface where he he became a ranger but he doesn't fight with a bow once again you've got legolas who blasphemy the bow exactly he does not fight with a bow he is a ranger he he lives in the wilderness he he worships the god maliki or sorry the goddess maliki and um uh but he fights with twin scimitars so he dual wields scimitars oh uh, so it's Legolas' dad gotcha uh, something, yeah, you could say that. You know, if if does he you ride a big deer, he does not ride a big deer. Oh damn! But but he does have a magical statue of a panther that summons a magical panther to his side. Uh, her name is Guinevere, not Guinevere, but Guinevere. At least that's how I pronounce it. And so you have a dark-skinned 
night elf with purple glowing eyes who rides a panther and dual wield scimitars. He, he does not ride the panther. She, she's not a mount. She's a companion. She is a she is a six hundred pound panther that he rides like he Skeletor. Does, he does not ride her like Skeletor. He does in my version. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But but yeah, so you gotta, uh, you gotta take okay, these okay. archetypes. Be, because you can't ignore the archetypes. You've got to embrace them. But you use them as a foundation to build a house on. Well, and that's a perfect example, Scott, of again, you know far more than I do about the lore. Uh, and by that I mean you know anything about the lore. But that that <laughs> is a character who yes, you, you tell me on paper, oh, it's it's an elf ranger. And uh, we all, we all, oh, okay, we've seen that before. But the character you just described, no, I haven't seen that before. That sounds like Legolas's dad, um, with, with with you know black skin, glowing purple eyes, uh, with the Beastmaster superpowers. I haven't seen that before. No. So yeah, what, what you what you're telling me is there's plenty of stuff to mine within these stories to in- embrace yet change people's preconceived notions of certain character types. Yes, and that's the yeah. good thing. Yeah, and this is where Dungeons and Dragons as <clears throat> a live action franchise, either movies or show, which a show I think would be better in, in today's day and age and today's marketplace. Um, this is where Dungeons and Dragons has to go. Dungeons and Dragons has to take a lead from Disney Plus uh, Star Wars. And they have to mine the 50 years of stories and 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 characters and worlds they have to cherry pick the best stuff the hard work is already done for you guys you just got to do some reading mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 talented people of ra salvatore ed greenwood tracy hickman uh, uh margaret weiss have done the heavy lifting for you you just got to read are there comic books? There are. Not great. Just have to read the actual books. Read, read words on pages and no pictures. On pages. You write top to bottom. Can't you just tell me what happened, Scott? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> you go do your homework, young man. I hate you. You're not my real dad. <laughs> Um, no, again, this is why I, I told you, like, you're gonna have to do some heavy, the heavy lifting on this episode because I don't know shit about uh, any of the stuff you've been describing. Uh, I've only played some homebrewed campaigns before, so, so though that character sounds awesome, and I would, I would watch him for an episode. I'd watch him for a season. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, personally, though, that character specifically, though he, him, and the other, the, the Ari Salvatore stuff, the Elminster stuff, the. Uh, the War of the Lance, they need to be film franchises. Okay. They, they do. They uh, Well, the Dristy Word and Companions of the Hall, you could probably get away with a series, but it wouldn't be an anthology series. They they need dedicated stuff because there's so much good good story there. Um, but, yeah, uh, if you're going to do anthology series, I mean, you've got Keep on the Borderlands. You've got the Tomb of Horrors. You've got, that's horrors, not um, I heard two of horrors and I got very excited. Uh, <laughs> HBO actually already called us about that. 
Um, you said it, I got an email from them. Um, you've got, you know, the Tomb of Horrors. You've got the Temple of Elemental Evil. You've got the Rod of Seven Parts. You've got, ah, uh, oh God, what else can I can I throw in there? That that's just you got the, uh, ah, shit, uh, Kelvin, uh, Kelvin Blackstone. Anyway, the 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 Dungeon of the Mad Mage underneath Waterdeep. You've got well, you've got Waterdeep. You've got uh, uh, there's another good anthology series title, Dungeons and Dragons: Tales from Waterdeep. You can literally set everything starting in the city of Waterdeep. Uh, you've got Skullport. You've got uh, fuck, I don't even know what else I could throw out. Now, you you've only played uh, a couple of different D and D things, and both of those were homebrewed, right? More or less, yeah. Yeah. So you've never played in Ravenloft. Never you've even never, heard of it. You've never played in Planes. You've never done anything in Planescape. You've never done anything in Spelljammer. Well, thanks for making me feel bad, Scott. And and I I so I, I tell you <laughs> what I I consider this a huge failure on my part in our friendship because we've been friends for for many years now. And I have yet to introduce you to any of this this awesomeness. And and that is going to change. Uh, because we are going to play in person a and d campaign, uh, a published adventure, uh, and, and you are going to experience some of the, the width and breadth that D&D has to offer. I just want everyone to know what I'm hearing in my head is tomorrow when I see Scott, he's going to hand me a list and a bag of books, and he's essentially going to give me a summer reading assignment. Well, no, no, no. And homework. No. No, no, no. Okay. I'm not going to do that to you. So when it comes to our uh, to our pending D&D thing, uh, uh-huh. uh, first of all, we need at least one more. I'd like two more players that can play. If um, only we had another host on this show. Well, I, I would like this one to be in person. Oh, okay, already, never mind. Forget that guy. Uh, well, we're already doing one via Roll20. I'd like to do this one in person. Fair enough. Uh, and uh, so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now, and I am gonna ask that you not do any research ahead of time to know what's going on because I want you to go into it completely blind. But you uh, want me to not do anything? Yes, I'll try, but uh. um. So right now, I'm about halfway through reading um uh one of the current fifth edition modules uh that has been published. And it, it's generally considered one of the one of the best modules they published for fifth edition so far, and that is the Curse of Strahd. And uh, I, I I I think you're going to enjoy this campaign setting, okay, and stuff. Um, personally, if you were ever going to get Whitney to try this type, yeah. of, this would be the one time to try. Whitney enjoys, well, I don't know about enjoys, my most recent D&D group uh, was actually a group of friends she introduced me to. They all met through playing Pokemon. Um, and then we all learned we were all bigger nerds than just Pokemon. Uh, so the group would get together. Whitney would come hang out just because it was a, a shared group of friends. And Whitney would sit and read or play with the dogs uh, while we did our campaign. And the most involved she's ever gotten is one of our characters was a paladin who had a deity. And when that happened, 
from the couch, from the great beyond of the couch, uh, the DD would speak to the paladin. Um, that is the most involved she's ever gotten with a DD campaign, and probably more than involved than she ever wanted to be in a DD campaign. Well, once again, so with the curse of Strahd, I want you to it, it it's it's D and D Dracula basically. Oh, uh, okay. I'll tell you that. Um, so the two of you together, it's possible you could use this as a gateway to 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 introduce her. Possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's possible. Introduce her to kinky vampire roleplay. I don't know where you're going with that, Scott. D and D. Oh, I mean, after I, mean, I that's, leave, that's after, cool too. I guess. Yeah. After we wrap up and I leave, whatever <laughs> else you want to introduce her to, you know, that is completely up to you all. Just uh, remember, the safe word is banana. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, that that type of thing. Um, but I want to introduce you to 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 what D and D has to offer outside of a homebrew campaign. I'm not trying to say anything against a homebrew campaign because uh, this actually I think we've gone less of uh, adapting it to 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 film and more of hey let's talk about role playing games. Yeah, but shows do that. <laughs> but but D and D has so much stuff that that you've never touched on. Well, yeah, D and D's been around for how many years? How many yeah. decades? Uh, yeah, uh, 50, let's see here, 1974 to 2014 was, was 2014? Well, I'll tell you right there, it was created in 74, it's got at least a solid decade on me as far as the birth dates go, so, yeah. So, yeah, uh, and I want to introduce you to this stuff, I, I want you to experience a lot of this stuff, because it's so much, it, it, it's so wonderful, it, it's, it's got so much stuff. Now, as far as the homework reading is gonna is gonna go, I, I'm not saying this is gonna happen, but in the near future, you may get a birthday and or <laughs> of the the Crystal Shard trilogy, uh, the War of the Lance, and uh, the Dark Elf trilogy. I'm just saying. I'll, I don't, the best gifts are the gifts that are really self-serving. It's, hey, these are great books. You should read them so we can talk about them. Hey, <laughs> here's a PlayStation 4 so we can play together. <laughs> Those are the best kind of gifts. <laughs> and I say that unironically. No, um, no well, I'll, I'll back to our, our... Have you seen either of the sequels to the Dungeons & Dragons movie, Scott? Yes, I have. Well, Okay. I I say yes. So I've watched the second one. I know that. And I want to say I started the third one. I can't remember if I finished the third one or not. So the the second one was um, uh, Wrath of the Dragon God, I think. Depending where you live, yes. And the third one was the Book of Vile Darkness. Yes. So the Book of Vile Darkness brings its title from a D&D supplement uh, uh, source book uh, uh, for the for the role-playing game, which I used to own. Uh, I don't anymore, but I know where it's at still. And uh, uh, The Wrath of the Dragon God, I don't know. Now, now if we're going to go back into this discussion, there, there, there's one thing I want to preface. And that is, even though D&D, the first movie, has its flaws, which we've talked about, I still enjoy this movie. We could talk about it a lot more. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. One thing I love about this movie is one thing everybody hates about this movie. Because you wouldn't be Scott otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love Marlon Wayans in this movie. God, I love Marlon Wayans in this movie. Because so, so you've got him and Justin Whalen. And Justin Whalen going into the so I saw this movie in theaters uh, myself and and my other D and D friends that played D and D with me growing up. Uh, we went to see it together, and going into it, we knew, and I forget exactly how we knew it. May have been the uh, the trailer because it's been a while since it's in a trailer or something. But we knew that Marlon Wayans' character was a thief. That well, I'm sorry. Justin Whalen and Marlon Whalen's characters were thieves. They were a pair of thieves. And so I was watching the movie in theaters, and and uh, Justin Whalen pulls out uh, a longsword and starts into a melee fight with like a soldier, and is like parrying, you know, blows, and and he's holding his own in a melee fight with a longsword. And I yelled out at the screen in the middle of the theater. I was like, there is no way in hell he is a straight thief. Oh, he's a multi-class. He is a thief fighter if he's anything. But he is more along the lines of a damn fighter than he is a thief. Because there's no way a thief is going to pull that shit off. Um, But Marlon Wayans in that movie is a straight-up thief. The man can't fight for shit. He's also the worst thief ever because... The opening scene, they're trying to be sneaky and quiet. He keeps screaming at everything. Yes. Any guard yes. worth their salt would have been all over them. But, does, at his job. But, but does a guard hear him? No. He's able to scream silently. Okay. <laughs> because, and this is something that gets overlooked. So, in, in D&D, if you're playing D&D, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of the game, yeah, you're making all these comments. You're talking constantly, just like Marlon Wayans is, but it's not having an effect in-game. So, literally, I interpreted that as his player is reacting to what the Game Master is telling him, but it's not actually affecting what's going on in-gameplay or in-universe. Um, but... The, the the character can pickpocket very well. Of course, he he, he lends himself to the to the comic relief, hence Marlon Wayans, and I love that. But um, he 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 picks locks very well. Uh, he's curious. He's constantly looking into every nook and cranny he can to find whatever. He's constantly putting stuff. He's a kleptomaniac, thief, and everything. Uh, he's able to to pickpocket uh, the the big bad guy and get the map from him. And of course, that's what gets him killed. Um, sort of but yeah i love his character and i love his performance uh specifically you know like the little things like when 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 ripley is proposing they rob the 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 mage guild and he's like see this is the same thing you said whenever uh the same thing you said when we robbed that little half sense and who'd he catch me and who'd he beat from the waist down love that shit. I heard a YouTuber defend that character by saying he's less annoying than Ruby Rod from Fifth Element. I would disagree. I think they're equally as annoying. To which I get willing befuddled because I'm like, that 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 doesn't make sense. Oh, he's fine. Other characters are more annoying. 
that doesn't negate the annoyingness of this character. That's just pointing out there are worse written. Yeah, you're right. He's not as bad as Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I would say simply being compared to Jar Jar Binks is bad enough on its own. Uh, no, like he's doing his best. Uh, and I'll give the movie credit for this. They were balls enough to kill off the comic relief character. Spoiler. Um, which gave him a great and very noble end because he I'll just say this himself I'll, for the good of the quest. I'll just say this about the film. Um, it is everything stereotypically wrong with fantasy movies prior to Lord of the Rings. I was completely and utterly blown away by Lord of the Rings. At, and I say kid, I was in high school when I saw it for the first time, because in my mind, sword and sorcery fantasy was this D&D movie. Poorly written characters, terrible costumes. I mean, literally at one point someone kneels down and there's a close-up shot and you can see on the inside of their leg armor, they have it labeled left and right. Like, that's the kind of like idiotic mistakes that make the, the, the props look chintzy. The God help me, the CGI in this movie is like PlayStation One levels of terrible. Um, and I understand they had a low budget. It spent like a year and a half in post. You wouldn't tell from the finished movie, but it's been a lot. Of, it, this this was a low budget, independently produced movie, a passion project. And I don't mean to take anything away from the director or the cast because look, end of the day, they made a movie. It exists. It was put out in theaters. It is a complete start to finish movie. It, it's there. That in and of itself is an accomplishment from anybody. Whether you make fucking Citizen Kane or The Room or whatever, you finished a movie, it got put out. That is an achievement. Um, talking to you, John Congren. <clears throat> waiting for that Friday the 13th movie. Anyway. Um, I'm, still waiting, my, I'm still waiting for my bottle of uh, Camp Crystal Lake water. <laughs> You're going to get a bottle of tap water with some rocks in it. Uh, anyway, this movie, and again, I, I don't, knowing the backstory, I do I feel a little bit bad saying this, but it is everything stereotypically wrong with this genre at that point. It is what people had in mind because everything looks chintzy and flimsy. The world's not very well spelled out. The acting is god-awful. I mean, it is horrendous. It, it, and someone asked Jeremy Irons about his performance uh, or why did he sign on to the movie? And his, his quote was, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, I just bought a castle. I got to pay for it somehow. <laughs> Which, appropriate enough, you bought a castle, so I made a D&D movie to pay for it. All right, that, sure, that makes sense. Um, but look, there are so many people in Hollywood now who are huge D&D nerds Get some of that talent in there. Joe Manganiello from uh, Rampage and and should have been Deathstroke uh, and and True Blood. Uh, I know he's in a lot more than that, but those are the things that come to mind. Well, he's a huge D and D nerd and has his own like web series of his celebrity buddies playing D and D. God help me, Vin Diesel, huge D and D nerd. The only reason he signed on to do that um, last Witch Hunter movie is if his character could be named after his D and D character. That's the level of nerd. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, that you should build the whole movie around Vin Diesel. Please don't. Uh, yeah, but, but Vin Diesel in a role 
that gets you a name to put up on the poster, you know, make him some kind of background character, whatever. Get some of those people involved. D&D has been around so long. There are people in positions of influence and power in Hollywood who are D&D nerds. Get them involved. And uh, what's what's his name? The the guy that directed one of the Thor movies with Tabitha Wakiti. Uh, I don't know, I don't know his name. Taika Watiti. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he's huge in the D and D. Yeah, I'm sure he should be. Well, I, I actually thought that was like kind of a thing. I I, I thought it was uh-huh. never. Was, I don't know. Um, but yeah, there there's there's lots of people in Hollywood that are huge huge in D and D. They would love to get together and 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 bring it. Um. Um, when it comes to the second movie, you know, um, I think the second movie did a little bit better job of bringing the experience of the role playing game to the screen. Just, just a little bit. Cause you, you get the party, you get the, the structure of a D and D adventure is a little better in the second movie than it is in the first movie. Um, and one of my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the second movie is when the, the the there's a there's a locked door that they're trying to uh, that they need to open and there's a lever that will open the door but they don't know if the lever is booby trapped right and so the thief of the party uh, they they call him over to check the the lever out to say hey you know see if there's any booby traps or whatever and he starts looking at it and he's kind of cracking his knuckles and he's he's examining it and he looks at the the party and he says I'm going to need you to turn around. And they're like, excuse me, what do you mean? He's like, look, I'm about to employ closely guarded secrets of the Thieves Guild, which have been passed down to guild members for centuries and cannot be known outside. I'm going to need you to turn around. And so like, fine, whatever, they turn around. And he looks around, he makes sure that nobody's looking. He looks around a little bit more, and he just reaches in and pulls the lever. <laughs> and, he, and he has this like, like you know, his, his eyes are closed and he's, he's tensed up like something's going to happen and nothing happens, but the door opens. He's like, oh, okay, cool. He's like, all right, done. That was funny as shit. Sorry, I just Googled celebrities who play D&D. Um, some interesting names. Stephen Colbert, Will Wheaton, Dan Harmon, uh, who, if you don't recognize the name, is the guy who created Rick and Morty. Joseph Gordon Lovett, Felicia Day, John Favreau. Just putting that out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some guy named Dwayne Johnson who looks a lot like The Rock. Oh, he's the he's the guy that's related to Rocky Johnson, the famous wrestler from the the seventies, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no. The the second movie. Um, Definitely is is a more earnest attempt at being sort of a straightforward kind of fetch quest movie. It's in see this is a stalling for time. Uh, quick, do a balderdash for time, Scott. Do it. Do it. Do a balderdash. You mean you mean do a blather Skype? Yeah, that thing. Because Balderdash is a board game, which is a fun-ass board game, actually, if you've never played it. And the fact that the old edition actually had uh, John Ratzenberger as Cliff Clavin as the spokesperson, celebrity, you know, on the cover, 
uh, because Cliff Clavin, of course, from Cheers fame, the character would always make up facts and stuff. And the entire point of this game is to make up your own definitions of words or or uh, explanations of who people are. Um, it's just a fun-ass game. If you need a good game to play for a party game, Balderdash, get it, play it, it's fun. And even though my wife gets upset with me whenever, you know, we play it and, uh, like, the, the name comes up of a, per- a historical person and the historical person is Eddie Teach, E-D-D-I-E, Teach, T-E-A-C-H. And, of course, I write down Blackbeard the Pirate because apparently I'm the only one at the table who knows Blackbeard's real name is Edward Teach. I don't know. But, yeah, she was she was a little, well, she... That's she little... some wonderful bander snatching, Scott. Uh, yeah, 2005. <laughs> um, so the point I was trying to make is, so the sequel came out post Lord of the Rings. Uh, and, and you can definitely tell it, it's it's relying a bit more on some of the, the now well-known tropes of the genre. Um, and definitely, obviously, trying to tap in on some of that uh, uh, Lord of the Rings interest. Um, but it's also another very low production value uh, movie. And you can tell anytime they start to use magic or have a dragon show up, uh, the costumes are kind of chintzy. I will give, I will give the original movie credit. The locations they shot the film in. Here's something nice I'll say about it. They chose some wonderful locations uh, to get the most bang out of their book. Uh, most of the stuff you're seeing is not a set, it's location. Uh, they were shot in real castles and, and real uh, estates. And, and the, the production value for the sets, for the most part, looked really good. You can tell the ones that were built from scratch because they don't quite hold up as well. Uh, and it also has a wonderful cameo from my favorite doctor, uh, the fourth doctor, uh, which I totally forgot he was in this movie till I did memory watch. Wait. So there's some, some yeah. Um, Tom Baker is in the second movie? Sorry, 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 sorry. No, no, no I was talking about the first movie. I, oh. sorry. All okay. the praise I was just heaving is on the first movie, not the ah. second movie. Sorry, sorry. All right. The original movie uh, shows its locations very well. Uh, the second movie, you, you could tell not so much. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I was like, I remember Tom Baker in the first movie. I did not realize he was in the second. Okay. Sorry, sorry. No, no, yeah. Not bad. But yeah, um, they're okay. I haven't seen the third one. Apparently, it's hard to find here in the U.S. Um, I don't really feel the need to. Uh, there's plenty of terrible, terrible fantasy schlock uh, out in the world today. Thanks, Sci-Fi Channel, uh, the network who who bankrolled a project that was literally Robin Hood fights a dragon. That wow. exists. That's a that's a Sci-Fi Channel original movie. It, is it called Robin Hood fights a dragon? No, it's something Sherwood. It's got the middle brother, no, sorry, the oldest brother from um, Home Improvement as Robin Hood, and Erica Durance from Smallville as Maid Marian, and there's a portal, and uh, that's about all I remember. It's terrible. It's terrible. I kind of want to watch this now. It's out on Blu-ray. I'll see if I can dig up a copy, buddy. Yay! I stumbled across it when I was putting together my list of Robin Hood movies I still need to own, and I was like, 
why don't I remember this one? <clears throat> and then I IMDb it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I'm never gonna own this one because I was suckered into that when it came out. Fool me once, Sci-Fi Channel. You wait, wait. You mean CP Channel? I think it was actually Sci-Fi back then. Oh, I might so be wrong, sci-fi? but I, wow. I think it was actually Sci-Fi. Could be wrong about that. But anyway. Anything else to get uh, any other points to make about how to adapt Dungeons and Dragons? I think we, we we were in agreement. It should definitely be streaming over movie, and you should mine the source material from the novels, uh, and you should try to highlight the differences from your stereotypical Lord of the Ring esque fantasy stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've covered it. You you just summarized it very well. That that that's. Uh, where it should be if if you're going to if if you're going to do it uh, with original stories stream it uh, if you want to do a film franchise then pick you know one of the existing stories that that lends itself well to a trilogy or more uh, I mean in fact even if you wanted to do just the Claire Quintet it would make a wonderful book to a movie series um, but those uh, those need to be uh movies versus the series uh you've got 50 plus years of you know talented writers doing stuff just just steal from them just 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 go ahead and grab that shit um you don't need to reinvent the wheel D as a what you would call a, a passive medium as far as you know, uh, storytelling that instead of participating, just, you know, enjoying the story has already been done. Um, yeah. Tap the, 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 the plethora of talent in Hollywood that loves D and D get it done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most importantly, in your anthology show, at some point, someone needs to come across the head of the thieves guild and it has to inexplicably be played by Damon Wayans. Or Marlon Wayans, sorry. Marlon Wayans, yes. Yeah. yes. We need to see Marlon Wayans back on screen uh, as his... And uh, someone at some point needs to be carrying around a tray of food and come up to him and say, snails? And say, what? And, and then offer <laughs> him a tray of snails. Uh, and then never mention it again. <sighs> So there you go. There's our breakdown on how to how we think you should properly adapt a D&D movie. But we'll find out. I think the new movie has a release date of 2023 now. I think it just got pushed to early 2023. So we'll find out uh, before long if we're on the money. Way off. Um, save us. Uh, until then. Until next time. This has been your weekly Nerd Alert. Thank you. Great. I got my 12-sided die and I'm ready to roll with a wizard and my goblin crew. My friends are coming over to my mom's basement bringing Funyuns and the Mountain Dew. I got a big broad sword made out of cardboard and that stereo's a pumping Zeppelin. It's that time of the night we turn on the black light that the dungeons and the dragons begin. It's D&D. The legends of yore. It's D&D. Never kissed a lady before. Nope. Woo!